0: Welcome to Talking Sense, the podcast where we discuss all things detection dogs. Broadcasting from Sense City, Las Vegas, and the Silver State Canine Training Center, your host, Cameron Ford. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Canines Talking Sense. This episode I recorded with another fellow dog trainer and podcast host, Pat Stewart is part of the podcast canine paradigm himself along with co-host glenn talk about a number of different uh dog training topics dog related activities uh you name it when it comes to dogs the canine paradigm podcast covers all kinds of stuff and they have amazing guests on that podcast as well so uh Pat happened to come to town thanks to Sin City Working Dogs, and we held a seminar at Silver State Canine. And of course, when you get two guys who run a podcast, uh, we had to sit down and do a podcast together. And then, of course, I've been on their podcast uh, recently, probably I think it was last month uh, we recorded an episode and they uh, aired that already. So before I get to the actual episode with Pat, I wanted to cover a few things that are going on. So We had our first webinar uh, last night, which would be January 31st. When this episode airs, it won't be last night. But uh, uh, myself and Nathan Hall did our first webinar, which was the principles of learning. Nathan uh, covered basically how dogs learn and specifically the connection to odor Uh, but all the principles of course of learning are regardless of whether this is detection or not. But he geared the conversation and webinar teaching to uh, how dogs learn in relation to detection. It was a great, great webinar. Lots of information uh, was shared. Nathan's classes on my webinar series here are going to be the same type of classes he gives as if you were there at Texas tech. So, We are doing four webinars. So the first one that happened was Principles of Learning. The second one, which will come out on February 25th, so stay tuned to my social media feed where I will put the Eventbrite link there to sign up on. That next one on the February 25th will be Chemistry of Odor and Odor Navigation. The third one, which we have not set the date for yet, but will come out, will be called Advanced Olfactory Perception. How does the dog take in odor and what does it learn from it and how this process all occurs. Very, very uh, useful information. Uh, Some aspects, research and groundbreaking information is being shared, things that the industry is learning and so forth. And then the fourth episode will be animal cognition and complex stimulus control. So how animals learn, how animals learn in relation to odor Um, it's a kind of putting it all together from the first three webinars. So if you're interested in those webinars, of course, follow my social media feeds, which are at Cameron Ford Canine. So whether it be Instagram or Facebook, you'll find me there. I post that information as well. Uh every time I do a webinar and a link to the webinar to sign up. Also, you do not have to watch the webinar live simply sign up on Eventbrite to that event. When the webinar is actually over, all those who have signed up and paid will receive a link to the webinar that you can watch and or listen to at your convenience. At just as long as you have signed up and paid prior to the airing of the webinar, everybody who has signed up and paid will actually get the webinar. So... Stay tuned for those. Uh, like I said, those will be on my social media feed. In addition to that, uh, there's been some more traveling. I recently came back from uh, Ontario or technically Toronto, Canada. I uh, was up there with Brad Gillespie. I uh, got to spend some time with my good friend Michelle Mon, uh, another uh, former guest on Canines Talking Sense. I uh, got to see some of the new training aid delivery devices that she has so those that were wanting to order those and they were on back order they are in now and she is mailing those out uh from there i was in portland uh, did some canine cognition classes or class out there uh really really fun over at the uh, field of dreams kennels uh kirsten uh folk we had a uh Great uh, couple days out there with her and her staff learning the canine cognition, and she's got some nice German short-haired pointers up there. So uh, going forward, uh, currently going on is our canine class uh, at Silver State Canine, where I have uh, right now we're at 15 students in the class, so keep things busy. Uh, The next class comes out actually February 17th. Uh, if there is anybody wanting to or needing to attend a handler and or trainer's course, our next one is February 17th to the 28th. Uh, so go to the Silver State nine website and you can sign up there. Uh, just go to the calendar of events. And then lastly, the Sniff and Bite seminar I am doing with Carlos Ramirez. Carlos is coming to Las Vegas. Uh, we are going to do three days of detection training and, uh, bite work, whether it be problem solving or decoy work, uh, things of that nature, anything that can help you enhance the uh, protection and or bite work of your dog. So uh, same thing, go to the website, silverstatecanine.com, go to the calendar, and you can sign up and register there. We have audit spots available. So if you don't want to work a dog or can't work a dog, we would still love you to come out and enjoy that event. Again, I thank you guys for all of your support. There are many more Um, cognition seminars coming up where I'm traveling around Um, so those that have asked questions uh, feel free to reach out to me I am also uh, available and I'm starting to do some actual consulting via phone and or like say Skype so I've had people recently reach out to me send me videos and we do some consultations and some live coaching type things whether it be for nose work and or even the professional side of dog training are working dogs, reach out to me if you are interested or you're looking for some advice for a consultation, uh, anything and everything related to the podcast and or these training classes, the email is the same. It is Cameron at FordK9.com, C-A-M-E-R-O-N at F-O-R-D-K number nine dot com. So let's get to the episode with the interview with pat stewart this will be a fun one hello and welcome to this episode of canines talking sense i am lucky today that i get to sit down and interview a international guest (laughs) to my show and uh uh he actually comes from australia former special forces uh also has trained with some of the best uh instructors out there uh Mm -hmm. friends of mine mike ellis uh bart ballon um and now you have your own operant canine and you travel and you have your own podcast as well Uh the canine paradigm so now we get to have like a mashup podcast mine and yours yes exactly so i'd like to welcome pat stewart to the show pat Thank Thank you for showing up. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's a real convenient thing here having you at... Silver State doing a seminar uh, for the local uh, Sin City Working Dog Club mm-hmm. here, so uh, it's a good chance for me to actually be the student for a change mm-hmm. versus always being uh, uh, the one teaching. So I get to sit back and go, "Yep, uh huh, uh huh." <laughs> the <laughs> yeah. expert from afar is now in my area, so yeah. I get to have get everybody validated. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. So for those who may not know you in, in my detection dog world or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of I hit the high points of your background, but just kind of talk about how where you came from, how you got to where you're. At
1: today, yeah, cool. So, uh, I was in the army, um, I was at a unit called Two Commando Regiment, uh, in Australia, mm-hmm. um. I was just, you know, an assaulter there uh, and towards the end of my career, they brought in dogs into the unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was never a, a dog handler, like I never ran a dog overseas mm-hmm. or anything, but towards the end there, I kind of filled in as a, a platoon sergeant to those guys and was on the peripheries of it the entire time mm-hmm. because I was super interested in that in my mm-hmm. personal life mm-hmm. uh, and had bought a Malinois that was a disaster and was had been through that and... Um, uh, a good friend and who became a mentor to me was a guy called Sam Montany he got brought in to start who raised the unit as a military okay. policeman so I kind of you know bugged him until he would teach me stuff <laughs> Sure. Uh, and we started a little like pet dog uh, video series together which is okay. still online it's the mskennels.com and it's a like it's a tutorial guide on how to raise a puppy we bought a just random springer spaniel okay. and we spent 12 months together just filming that we made right. that so it's it's for pets it's, it's nothing crazy it's just how to raise a happy healthy social pet sure. that was really good Uh, But then Sam got posted down to Melbourne, like a thousand kilometres from me. Um, So then I was kind of in the wilderness. And in in that time, I got out of the army and uh, had linked up with Bart. Me and Sam started training with Bart and um, been fortunate enough to, you know, uh, the gold, the silver and gold schools that Mm -hmm. happened in Australia. Sort of, Mm -hmm. I organised those within four Barts. I've been to I think six of those. um, and uh, sort of about a year ago decided that I was at a point in the knowledge and understanding of the Nipopo stuff to, mm-hmm. uh, some people asked me, I'd been teaching it privately to people and clients, and you know, that for a long time. Yeah. And then some people asked me to, you know, come and teach it to clubs and I started doing that and then it went international to, the first <laughs> time I went overseas was to New Zealand and then it just kind of went crazy and I've... I think this year I've done like twelve or thirteen public nice. seminars already, and this is the last one for the year. Oh, okay, thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, there's
0: only so many weeks left. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Unless you want to work um, through Christmas, but hey, you know I don't yeah. know what you do in Australia, but yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly right.
1: <laughs> so I'm back over here uh, first weekend in in February uh, in okay. Orlando at GNA training. Academy See, that's there. my
0: old hometown. Oh, I was really? a cop in Orlando. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. There you go.
1: Um, yes, yeah, so over there, and um, you know, a whole bunch of uh, stuff planned for next year. Next year is almost completely booked. So I've been yeah. super lucky um, to you know be mentored by and st- so study under um, mm-hmm. Bart Bellin, mm-hmm. um, and just having access to all that info. And yeah, yeah, like I said, I, my main gig now is teaching Nepopo to people.
0: Yeah, and like you say, like you said, you've been exposed to a lot of different things. What was the changing point for you that got you you know focused on this system? and kind of motivated you to really pursue it. Yeah, the big
1: difference for me was uh, I, I saw the video that everybody's seen of uh, Bart working his dog Thor, mm-hmm. and it was that I realised that he had some magic yeah. where <laughs> where he was bringing on flashy and powerful behaviours by mm-hmm. the use of his e collar. Okay, and my understanding of the e collar to that point was like most people that this is a, an aversive tool. We yeah. stop things with this, yeah. right? And I know I'm aware of like escape and avoidance training. and People could do it, in, you know, the gun dog world and that kind of stuff. But what I didn't see was dogs that loved it right yeah and when i saw that video i was trying to interpret like holy shit this guy is this guy's bringing on behaviors via yeah. that collar mm-hmm. and the dog is looks powerful and is um is clearly happy in the work yeah and that was when i was like oh okay i have to understand this and my, you know to that point i was what we would then call like a popo nay trainer it treats okay. everything positive reinforcement because positive reinforcement is a great mm-hmm. way to bring on flashy powerful behavior yeah and it works great until it doesn't. Sure. And what I didn't have was a capacity to then motivationally compel mm-hmm. the dog. Mm-hmm. And it, it was watching that video that I, I saw that he was able to do that. And yeah. I thought, hey, I need to get in contact with this guy. And uh, Bart came to Australia to do a seminar. We organized that.
0: And then from there, the school. Kind, of, kind of grew from there. You'll laugh at this. So my first experience with Bart. So I was stationed in Germany. And during that time, kind of like you mentioned in your story, while living there, I went to every country and learned every dog program. So my time in Belgium, I went Learned MVBK, and I became friends with Germain Powells At the time, was the president of the MVBK, okay. and Bart was one of the people that was a competitor and things like that. So I'd heard the name, and of course, he was already starting to. Uh, he had built his name pretty good in there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and he when was, was that?
1: If he was nineteen ninety
0: nine. Okay, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. So, and the so I had heard of him at that point. I had not come across him yet, um, but I had seen. Everything that you're talking about with NVPK, it is a ton of, basically whatever the judge can think of for that trial day is the level of distractors, what the decoys will do, all that kind of stuff. And so it was very uh, powerful as far as it got my attention because to me, it mimicked what cops go through because it's always a different thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I kept hearing about this guy, Bart. So finally, fast forward a few months, Bart's doing a seminar and he's doing it with dr Helmut Reiser. so i go sit at this seminar in some german you know city small farm town city and it's bart and dr Reiser doing the seminar together and yeah no it was it's one of those moments i look back on and i'm really like i can't believe i was there yeah. so i watched the whole seminar and bart is struggling with this one dog and at that time he hadn't really i think taken off with Popo. It was still a little bit more of the the negative or the punishment aspect of it. And I just remember this young dog really struggling. And then, you know, Dr. Reiser steps in and kind of helps out. And then Dr. Reiser starts talking about conflict on purpose and conflict on accident. You know, and with conflict on purpose, we use that to train with conflict by accident, we screw up as the handlers (laughs) and, and cause confusion for the dog and this, that, and the other. So the, you know, the, to make the long story short is, so it's mostly in German, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm doing the best I can. I lived in Germany at that time for about almost four years. So I could understand way more than I could speak, but I kind of knew what was going on. So I come up to Dr. Reiser, uh, uh, the English. Oh yeah. I speak English. Great. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And we got talking. So he, I didn't know he was a dentist. My dad was a yeah. dentist. My, he taught, my dad taught him oh, really? dental implants. And so we got talking. He's like, you know, he figured, you know, picked up my last name, was like, your last name's Ford. Uh, yeah. I said, man, my dad's dentist. Wait, what's your dad's name? Tell him. He goes, Oh yeah. Your dad taught me implantology. (laughs) And here I am teaching, you know, you're here learning from me on the dog side of things. So yeah. So just one of those crazy type of environments, but I got to watch Bart then and Bart was on my radar. For sure, even more after watching, you know, learning from that seminar with the both of them. Mm-hmm. And then just watched it take off, you know, really uh, probably another couple more years forward. And, you know, now we're in the early 2000s and then Nipopo now exists. Mm-hmm. And he was around, you know, uh, Las Cabrera was one of the ones in Florida that would bring Bart pretty much every year to, to his place. And uh, then a, another good friend of mine, Justin Rigney, mm-hmm. got really involved with it. And then he was out teaching it. So, you know, in in those times I was traveling a lot too. I got in the contract world doing the, you know, stuff with what I did with special forces, getting those dogs trained and 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 learning and applying the different things piece by piece, but taking the experiences I had with that knowledge that you guys put together with now, the schools, the gold and silver, uh, and and seeing that. And all those things that they're typically tied to, you know, people kind of pigeonhole it into sport dog training or maybe even some law enforcement stuff but they don't realize the power it can have in detection dog work. Um you've brought it up a couple of times today in, in tracking aspect, but uh and, and I wanna talk about tracking too because Dick Stahl is another one who I'll have on the show here hopefully in the next month or two. Awesome. Uh and yeah, I'm gonna see or oh, Dick's coming to Australia in August. Oh, is um, he? Yeah, I'm spending two weeks with him. Oh, perfect. Yeah. No, I'm jealous because I he's one of the ones when I was over there I didn't get to spend a ton of time with, but I've studied quite a bit of. Um because again, it's the same philosophies. Learning is learning, mm-hmm. especially a and especially he's a magician, like, Yeah. something special. No, and and, and he's also Good at teaching people like he is dogs, and we both know that's not an easy thing to do. So um, those concepts, though, like like that uh, the that dick goes over, and that you're covering with knee popo. Um, let's let's kind of go into how we can apply... So one of the common misconceptions that's out there is dogs trained with food in detection aren't nearly as motivated as dogs with a toy. How would you answer something like that?
1: Well, I mean, I should point out for everyone, I'm not a detection mm-hmm. guru, right? I'm not like a detection guy, but not by a long shot. Um, but I, I think that that's a bit of a hangout from the past of where yeah. people don't want to use a lot of food and training. Mm-hmm. And I think certainly in imprinting, you're crazy if you're not using food because you can get so many reps like so fast yeah. uh, and the truth of the the truth of food in the long run mm-hmm. is that uh, no dog needs a toy yeah. right yep. he does need food yep. right uh, and you can apply some very natural consequences to failure in the hunt mm-hmm. like an an unsuccessful hunt for a dog uh, that is out hunting for his food yep. the 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 consequence of that is no food right, right? so they they're hardwired to to live yeah, and breathe that way. So I think to remove that from the table is foolish. Sure. And every dog has to be taken for every for its individual purpose that it is, right? Like every dog's an individual. Um, but to say you shouldn't use food, I think is,
0: is foolish. Sure. It's short-sighted in my opinion, because just like you pointed out, nothing teaches hunting better than hunting. And what do they naturally want to hunt for? Every chance they get, when they get out of the car, they get in your house, you make the crackling of a bag or you do whatever, what is their instinct to go do? Work for that food. So that leads to this part of the equation that the typical uh, detection dog handler would say, I don't use food because my dog will probably just false indicate to get food from me. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So how do you address that?
1: Well, if false indicate to get food from you. He could false indicate to get the ball from you. Absolutely right. right.
0: <laughs> it's the argument goes out the window, but I wanted somebody else. See, you're the expert from afar. You're from a different country. So they're going to listen
1: to this, but yeah. Yeah. I'm more than 50 miles away. Yeah, right? exactly. Cool. Uh, yeah. If they, if the dog is inclined to false indicate to trick you into getting the reinforcer, that's a training issue n- not related to the reinforcer that you're
0: using. Um, I, I think absolutely. No, I fully agree with that because. So many things are labeled, for, you know, for one reason or another, and it falls back to the improper training, not the mechanism or the reinforcer. In this case, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And like you just said, you know, people focus on that aspect versus actually focusing on maybe I should look at the methodology yeah. or to the my next question, the communication aspect of everything. Yeah. So. As you guys train, you guys train with a very clear system of communication. Could you kind of describe how? Uh, in in this case, I'm going to bring in the use of markers to communicate um, to the dogs, and why and what is the power in the use of markers? Yeah, so for us, markers are extremely important, and we put a lot of
1: effort into making our markers actually a reflex response, a, a classically conditioned reflex response. Part of what I teach is that a lot of people are using markers and they work, uh, but it's a cognitive marker. The dog, it really understands like you are, that is you telling me that I'm on the right track and I should come back and get my reinforcer. That works great. But what we try really hard to instill is a reflexive marker. And the, the what that allows us is for us to compel the dog to do things that he might not Choose to do mm-hmm. and do it as a reflex, sure. uh, without being able to think. Of, he doesn't even get a choice in whether he, in the matter, and he does it as a reflex. And so, using those markers conditioned in that way, we can also make the dog feel a particular way if we want to, right? So, you know, re- relating to what you're talking about in the use of food, yeah. in in something like I'm more akin to knowing the, in the bite work, right? Uh, I teach the out with food, right, uh, and People tell me that'll never work, even though I've got loads of <laughs> footios of it working. Yeah. Right. And I've shown my own personal dog end to end from mm-hmm. from eight weeks old to uh three years old now with the first leg of a PSA two. Yeah. Uh, perfectly clean outs, reflexive outs where there's no cognition in it. He he can't not out whether he wants to or not. He finds himself out. The physiological
0: was, response. Yeah, yeah.
1: And that's all taught with food. And and with clear markers that that change the value of food Mm -hmm. relative to the situation that the dog is in. So by that, I mean, I have a Malinois, a good one. They're like all good Malinois is not giving up a bite for food, right? Uh, You can hold food right in front of a good dog that's on the bite. He ain't giving it up. But that same food, I actually have videos of this. Like uh, I have a video on my treadmill, right? So I've got my dog on the treadmill. Mm -hmm. He has the ball in his mouth. Uh, he's playing with the ball. I've put, you know, tension, prey on the ball. He's loving, enjoying it. I go loose to prove that it's not that the game ends. So, like, he's just possessing the ball, no tension in the string. Um, And while I'm playing with him in the ball, I've got food in my hand that's available for him to eat, right? And he's no interest in that. I try and give him the food. I'm putting like kibble into his nostril. He's like blowing it (laughs) out. From behind the ball, I like put food onto his tongue and he pushes it out of his mouth. He has no interest in that food, right? It's clear that at that moment, at that moment in time, Mm -hmm. the ball is way higher value than the food. Whilst he's got the ball in his mouth and the food is on offer, I click. He spits the ball out, eats the food that's in my hand and the ball swinging like a pendulum goes out. He eats the food and it swings back and he grabs it as fast as he can. And so what that shows us is like my clicker yeah. changes the value of my food because he looks at that food when he's on the bite and says, yeah, I'm, I'm not hung. Like I'm not starving to death. Yeah. I'm not taking that food. I'm really engaged in something that I want. But when I hit click, he can't not take it yeah. and it's been conditioned in him. That that clicker announces that food is food you must take, and sure. it it he knows if he doesn't, then that leads to a significant hunger, and he avoids all of that reflexively. takes it, changes the value of it. It goes from very low value yeah. to highest possible value post the click, right? And that is the the power I think of the clear markers and but the reflexive markers because he had he did not want to let go of that ball to eat that food. Sure, it's outside of his control, yeah. and even I I. I truly think in that moment, if you asked him, why did you do that? He'd have no idea. He couldn't tell you. He yeah. just knows that it did. It just happened. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I heard that noise and this thing just occurred to me.
1: Yeah, exactly. So for us, that's really important. Not, not only using markers, because I know you're big on that and um, that can be a difficult thing to can comp- convince people sure. to get involved in oh, yeah. um and like for me personally like it's not necessarily a NepoPo thing that i have like my own marker system i like mm-hmm. i like different markers for different things and i don't go crazy it's not like i have 17 sure. different markers but food is a different marker for a ball okay. uh, a toy that like the, the toy that i have on me is yeah. a different marker for a toy that's away from me gotcha. um, and that's probably as as complicated as it needs to be but sure. i can then reflexively make my dog take a reinforcer that may not be the thing that he wants, right? It has to, it's the one that he got told to take. And I reduce a lot of conflict in that. And that's I like can, you know, in, in my world I can then change like decoy neutrality. Like I know you want to bite that decoy and I gave you the marker for the ball and suddenly the dog finds the ball in his mouth. Right. Sure. Like it's it's not a choice to do that. It's yeah. a reflex to do that. And I can see totally how Awesome, that would be in detection, right? Where you can, you know, I think one of the oppositions that comes from um, the food training is people say, well, it only works if the dog is hungry, right? And I can see why people think and say that, right? But you can load your commands and markers to make the dog be hungry, right? He doesn't actually need to be hungry at that time. You can show him that like, this is a command, this is a word, this is a marker, this is whatever, that brings on a condition where you must work and they're happy to, and and they do it with heart and soul at that time.
0: Sure. And so you, you bring up a good point. So how would you go about using a marker in detection? How would you use that to, because a big problem that's typically seen in detection dog world is the dog goes to the odor and then leaves it. Mm-hmm. And, the argument is, Oh, see, because the dog knows you have the toy, they're going to go to the odor and just leave you and come back and go, you know, and not stay there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in various situations, especially in the legal aspect, and then even on special operations aspect, you want a dog to hold that indication until here's the marker. So how would you use that or how would you combat that type of uh, situation? It- <laughs> it's simple as
1: the. My dog can hold a sit until he hears the mark. Right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, building duration. Right. So yeah. when the dog finds the the odor that you're looking for in the first instance, the mark is immediate. Mm-hmm. And then, where people who uh, will tell you that the dog will drift off the the target behavior, yeah. and and we can say target behavior because to me that's a sit or a down or a bite, sure. and to you that's the indication. It's the same yeah. thing. Yeah if the dog will drift off the target behavior, it's because you tried to skip steps in your training and went for too long a duration too early. Mm -hmm. So when the dog indicates the first time, as soon as his nose is on target, click, he comes back, right? And then you can build to one second, to two seconds, to three seconds. And then at three seconds, maybe you get 10 seconds. And at 10 seconds, maybe you get 20 seconds. But it's people who go to one second, to five second, to try for 20 seconds. And that's when there's kind of two things, as you know, like the dog can uh, drift, uh, just leave and come back to you in ex- expectation of the food that can happen or that the reinforcer, sure. or you get that drift, you know, where the dog kind of looks over back at you. And if you mark in that moment, mm-hmm. yeah, of course you've created, you, you reinforce that, yeah. but you just don't.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, yeah.
1: And what I think people have to remember is that moment will come like without a doubt your dog who has been taught to indicate will try to skip the step because, you know, it's a behavioral chain. And dogs are efficient in behavioral chains. If they think a step is unnecessary, they will try and cut that step out. So of course a day will come where your dog is indicating on the odor. You go a little bit too long and he looks back at you and goes like, hey, shouldn't you be clicking? And if you mark in that moment, you're in big trouble, Absolutely. right? Yeah. But he tries that behavior, is unsuccessful in that. Mm-hmm. He'll go back to marking and then you click and he is successful, exactly. right? And he goes, okay, well, that's not worth doing. I tried to cut a piece out of the chain. Yep. Found no success in that. I won't bother with that again. I'll just stay here. Yep. And if as long as you keep your uh, success, mm-hmm. uh, your, your increments of success small, right. And it only like I think where people get upset about that kind of thing is the increments of success only have to be really small at the start. Sure. Once you have ten, se- 10 seconds, you have a minute. Right. Absolutely. Like it 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 just it it's the the turbocharger gets attached after that. Yeah. It's
0: only hard at the start. Yeah. And in, in in like I have a, a Labrador puppy right now that I'm doing and I post videos of him on social media, and he'll hold that indication behavior right now for probably you said, probably like a minute, you know. Because he knows I've created hope that the 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 for me it's my verbal marker he when he hears that he knows it's going to happen and the way i built that was basically exact same way that you described little by little but i also did it through a thing that you talk about using the marker to build intensity intensity and behavior at in this case odor and i did that through that level of intensity creating action um talk about how people can build intensity for the mark and how mark builds intensity, I should say. Yeah, well, uh, it's the, there's a lot of different ways, right? And uh, I think that
1: the way people load markers, I I teach a very specific means of that and that it's classical conditioning, you need to get the chain right. So say for example, with the toy, Uh, people give their mark, they say yes, then they put the prey into the toy, right? And then the dog, it gets motivated to get the toy. So their marker then is an indicator to the dog, like now what will happen is I will make the toy exciting and then you will get it, right? Whereas if you make the toy exciting, then let the toy go still and the dog has a lot of desire still to get it, Attaching your mark to there where there's still a lot of desire but the toy is dead means that your dog will dive into the toy because he still wants it. It attaches that emotional emotional state and the physical action of the huge amount of intensity and desire for the toy. Whereas doing it the other way around, doing – say yes then I do the chicky chicky chaka as Bart yep. would say right like I do the dance the yep. foreplay before yep. you get the ball exactly right it means that that's the dog will then go okay you I you I heard the mark now get me excited right exactly. but yeah. what we want to do is get the dog excited yeah. then attach the mark then give them the ball so that we never have to get them excited again. So giving the mark gets them excited all by itself and they slam into the dead prey the dead ball the ball we're just holding there we don't have to bring it alive we don't sure. even have to a lot of you know uh, depending on the application, dog, you may not even want to throw the ball. You may want the ball sitting, or the toy, or the food, yeah. or whatever, just sitting yeah. dead still, and the dog flies to it with intensity as if it does have a lot of prey, exactly. because you he doesn't have a choice at that point. It's a conditioned response that mm-hmm. you built into him.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, could you use that? Let's just say, do the, do, like you said, do the dance, do the chicky chicky chaka, mm-hmm. and then let the dog go to, let's say, a target with odor on it. Do a behavior, and then give your mark. And then have your toy right here.
1: Yeah, you could. Yeah. So get the dog, like for sure you could. Uh, it would. <laughs> I suppose in the working world, you never have to worry about the idea of the dog not knowing that you've got the toy. So like in the sports, sure. uh, we have to have the dog believe yeah. that it's there even though it's not, right? Or that it could be there even though it's not. Mm-hmm. But I don't see that there would be an issue in like agitating the dog essentially for the toy and then mm-hmm. saying, I know you really want this. Yeah but the only path to getting it is finding the target odor, right? Right. And then he hunts with the same intensity that he wanted the toy. And so I think one of the, like, a lot of what I carry on about is it's actually a long time with a dog before I bother to teach them anything, right? I build as much intensity and drive and power into just receiving their reinforcer Mm -hmm. because the speed, power, intensity with which the dog takes his reinforcer is the best you can hope for in order for him to do the behavior which will earn the reinforcer because he's only doing that behavior to earn the reinforcer. You'll see that in their work. Yeah. 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 So like I kind of teach people like one of the key exercises I do is send a dog to a marker board. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just say, click. And the dog, I said, click is a terminal release. The dog should come to you to take his reinforcer, whether it's food, whatever, whatever they do. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we observe that, we see how fast it all gets off the marker board and comes to you to take the reinforcer and we say, he ain't going to that marker board any faster than that, right? He's not going to do the job of going to the marker board any faster than he gets off it. So if you want him to go to the marker board faster, get him coming off of it faster and that will fall over and carry over. So he's only going to do the work as well as he takes his reinforcer. So. I, I, it seems like wasted time, but it's not at all. I spend a lot of time just getting the dog obsessed with the things that I'll pay him with yep. and teaching him how to take the things that I'll pay him with yep. in order to then show him, well, now you got to do the work to earn that pay.
0: Ford Canine Training and Consulting. Ford Canine has a number of different seminars where I come to you and do courses such as canine cognition testing detection using cognition, canine integration with tactical operations, the science of E, which is a class based on the understanding of remote callers and how to best utilize them, police canine decoy training, or if you need me to come out and consult or do certifications under CNCA and PCA, National Police Canine Association, or even California Post. If you need any of these and more, go to my website, www.fordk9.com. On my website are a number of different classes and formats, as well as the ability to contact me and schedule phone or video consulting with or about your canine or your canine program. That phone number is 702 706 DOGS, D O G S. Contact me either by email, Cameron, C A M E R O N, at Ford, F O R D K number nine dot com, to schedule an appointment or a seminar, and I look forward to hearing from you. Georgia Police Canine Foundation is a 501c3 Nonprofit organization with a mission to help canine units. They do this by sometimes providing equipment that might be needed for a canine unit. Maybe it's training, finding a seminar that they fund to get a unit exposure to some training needs that they don't get normally through the routine monthly training. They also provide funds for retired canines who no longer have the support from their agency for the care as they get older. Georgia Police Canine Foundation is here for you, but they're also looking for donations to help this great mission and to help canine programs from around the United States. So if you're looking to help, you want to make a donation, go to www.gapolice9foundation.org. Again, that website is ww.gapolicek9foundation.org are you a canine handler in the West or Northwest United States and you're looking for a different or a new canine conference to go to, then I would look at the Pacific Northwest Canine Conference. This is going to be held May 18th to the 22nd in Walla Walla, Washington. I have been at the Pacific Northwest Canine Conference now uh, more than a few times and it is a conference where you get classroom as well as multiple working dog stations uh, throughout those days. Um, It keeps you busy. You're not just sitting in a classroom. If you are a person who says, okay, I want some classroom, then I want to go out and actually uh, apply some of the things that the instructors talk about, then the Pacific Northwest Canine Conference is a great one to attend. Uh, Last year, they had the NYPD Transit Bureau bomb dog teams there. Uh, the instructors and the admin from that program put on an excellent class then they went out and did scenarios from lessons learned that they've been through with the NYPD it was uh, very eye opening to say the least um, this conference is for narcotic and explosive detection dog handlers to include firearms detection dog handlers for information to sign up and register go to pnwk9.org. That is P as in Paul, N as in November, W as in whiskey, K as in kilo, nine, the number nine, .org. So PNWK9.org. Sign up for the conference. Uh, Again, those dates are May 18th to the 22nd, and it's going to be in Walla Walla, Washington. Are you looking for a good three-day or a weekend-type seminar? Then check out the Sniff and Bite seminars sniff and bite seminars are ones where we spend a day and a half doing detection and a day and a half doing bite work slash patrol work depending on what you do so whether you're a civilian that does sport or you are a law enforcement officer working your dog as a either dual purpose dog or even single purpose dog check out the sniff and bite seminars i just conducted one uh, a few weeks ago in ocala florida with carlos ramirez And everybody that went through that seminar was challenged in one way or another whether it be detection or on the patrol side of things, the bite work side of things. Uh, A few of the officers got to kind of see some uh, levels of decoy resistance that they had not encountered probably ever. Every sniff and bite seminar is designed to challenge you but also enhance your education as to the hows and the whys and then we go out and actually do it. The next sniff and bite seminar is going to be held here in las vegas at silver state canine carlos ramirez is going to come to las vegas we are going to do our three-day seminar here and we're going to add a new component we're going to add some decoy training and education so if you want to step up your game as a decoy then make sure you show up for the sniff and bite seminar in las vegas Detection-wise, we are going to push some limits there as well. You have my playground at Set City, Las Vegas with all the tools I have at my home turf. So if you want to come and push yourself detection-wise, make sure you sign up for that seminar. The dates for that seminar, February 28th, 29th, and March 1st. Go to SilverStateCanine.com, go to the calendar, go to those dates, click on that, and register. The next sniff and bite seminar will be held in Tennessee with Justin Rigney. I will go out there. That'll be held in May. Go to servicesunlimited.com, contact Justin to sign up for that one. On a side note, if you do not know Carlos Ramirez, Carlos Ramirez is a fantastic trainer and an excellent decoy. If you get a chance, go check out his website, CarlosRamirezK9.com. That's Ramirez spelled R A M I R E Z and then K number nine.com. So CarlosRamirezK9.com. Go check him out and I'll put a link in the show notes. What you're describing is very similar to kind of how what I'll do here is I'll basically, I'll call it stimulate the area or create interest, do the chicky chicky chaka to my search area. The dog's then released to go search that area. When it, in that area, in the beginning is smaller because I want, like you said, I want success. So they search that smaller area, whatever the optics are. And as soon as a dog comes in contact with that stimulus, the odor, I give the signal, and then they know they can engage and play. And like you said, prior to that, though, I've done the same things that you have done, which is load that marker, yeah. created that intensity for the loading that marker. and then now those two pieces start coming together. Now it recurs it goes to work. Work then leads to this. And the dog couldn't care less about me. In fact, another step that we talk about is using kind of ourselves or as a, the human, the handler to be the, uh, res- the, the, the negative part of it mm-hmm. and holding them back or creating resistance. Mm-hmm. And they learn to kind of navigate or push past that. And and stay no odors here. This is I don't care what you're doing. You mean nothing to me at this point. Odors right here. Is that you know? Yeah, it of-
1: totally meshes with the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I think as you're talking then, I was thinking as well of like the use of indirect rewards as well. In that um, when people, one of the reasons people get upset about use of markers and the 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 indirect reward where you're holding it and the dog's searching out there uh, is that the dog pays too much attention to you because you hold the reinforcer. But a lot of what we do in the obedience world, and it certainly carries over into detection is I could throw the reinforcer into the room and the dog knows it's in there and I'm working for it. I just, I'm not allowed it. It's a conflict management thing, right? I'm not allowed that until I get the, until I find the target odor, and then I'll be released to it. Right. And to me, that's the same as having the decoy. Like yeah. That's yeah. the decoy agitating on the field. Yeah, The dog goes, oh, good. That's what I'm here to work for. But I still have to do the work before I can exactly. earn that, right? So that, that carries over to detection, no problem. But where, of course, people will demonstrate that and demonstrate it poorly and the dog is drifting towards the reinforcer that's there. Mm-hmm. But that's just a poor demonstration of it and they've... You know, allowed the dog to do that. The conflict management isn't there. Whether the, we've shown the dog, here's what you want. It's available. Mm-hmm. You think mm-hmm. it's available, yep, but it's not. Yep. And I think people who are training in that way in the early phase, yep. they make the dog think it's available and it is, yep. right? And so the yep. dog says, "Well, I'm not uh, doing uh, your search. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to grab your ball." Right? Yeah. It's about creating the conditions where the dog thinks he can get it, and yep. if he, of course, he's going to try to the first time, yep. but we make it so that he actually can't, and he mm-hmm. goes, "Oh, okay, I actually got to do the work," and then. Turns out
0: it's impossible to get it until you tell me that I can anyway. Exactly, or the other side of that equation are the ones that try to convince their dog they don't have it, and they do a horrible job at convincing them. And just like we talked about yesterday, where the, you, you talked about how the dog can find that small bit of odor and the handlers are impressing you like, look how small it is. And you'll look at him and say, like, oh, so you think he can't smell the toy? It's on you. And yeah. you've got him convinced of that. Yeah. And, and I ask handlers all the time, is anybody in this room convinced that your dog does not know you have the reward or toy on you? And of course, everybody's like, well, yeah, I know they they know I have it. Okay. So stop playing the bullshit game of, oh, look, doggy magic. I don't have it, but all you have, you know, uh, just, just, disp- disp- don't watch my hands or don't look at my pocket or whatever the things that where they, the toy is typically hidden. And, and then what they end up doing is drawing more attention to that and talk about how sometimes the conflict of where uh, playing those games detracts from the actual work itself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot in there, right?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I, I think certainly rewarding at the source and, and rewarding in the behavior can can lead to more stable behavior sure. for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, and, and so for me personally, I mix it up. Like sometimes yeah. I can reward the dog in the behavior and, and but I still can use all my markers and yeah. I might even have, um, well, I do have markers that are to tell the dog to stay in the behavior right. and I will come to you and I'll give you the reinforcer. Yes. And so, it just – it's it makes me laugh when you think that, like, if you choose to throw the reinforcer over the dog's head yeah. into the target area, like, that's fine. That's great, right? There's no problem doing that, provided it's uh, you, your target odor is something that is safe to do so. Sure, right?
0: Yeah, you definitely don't want to do explosives, yeah. obviously. Right. And even so now, that, damn fentanyl with a dog. Yeah, the drug exactly, dogs, yeah. right?
1: So it's no problem to do that. But you, you walking up to there – is a marker that it's mm-hmm. going to happen. Right? Exactly. And when you throw the ball, it makes a whoosh noise through the air and that's a marker that the dog is released and it's going to happen. And the real risk, I think, in, in doing that, um, and again, look, I'm no detection guy, so I have sure. to be careful in my words, but sure. I think the real risk in doing that is that between throwing the ball yep. and the, them identifying that it is theirs now to play with, behaviour yep. can change. Yep right yep. so that's what i believe the power of the marker is in that case exactly. is that i can say that moment right there that's exactly what right i want yep. and now the thing is as well if i am reinforcing the ball or if i'm reinforced food i can throw that wherever i want sure right i can still exactly. throw it over his head Absolutely. if i choose to all right i don't need to like slight of hand it over his head and drop it in front of him and have him magically think that because i think no one's going to argue with you that the dog doesn't know you're carrying the toy. <laughs> exactly. If your dog can bind trace elements of cocaine, yeah. he can smell the, you can smell the Kong in your pocket, yeah. right? So it's, an, it's outrageous to think otherwise. Yep. So why risk, mm-hmm. uh, reinforcing the wrong thing sure uh, and there's there's enough risk using markers what mm-hmm. like why add any more like in in that moment if it's hard enough if you you know that's the second it takes you to click the, yep. the, the hundredth of a second it takes you to click he mm-hmm. could change behavior yeah right? that's possible to happen we all have sure. to acknowledge that so in the three hundredths of a second between the ball going through you've just tripled the the room for error the, yeah. the margin for error just tripled in that time even though they're tiny it, you just yep. tripled it right yep so
0: <laughs> and what ends up happening is we've un- inadvertently reinforce a dog paying attention to the handler. Yeah. And then we as handlers try to go, oh, I got to prove, you know, we'll have somebody else in the room throw the toy. That's that's That'll fix it. Mm-hmm. And then they start going, okay, somebody in the room has my toy and they spend more time looking around the room than actually doing the job of searching mm-hmm. or they'll search a little bit, look towards people or the handler and so forth. Mm-hmm. And all we're saying is Those that don't, you know, that you want to make the argument about the mark, the dog leaving source and things like that is you're doing it anyway. You're already doing it. And there's no avoiding it. Exactly. So, um, and and then I'll throw at them, you know, when I usually ask my questions, who here uses markers? Uh, the most answer is, oh no, I don't do that. Then I'll say, okay, so what do you, what is your dog? Uh, what happens when your dog, when you say no or fooey? And they're like, oh, I, you know, the, the dog expects a correction, obviously okay, that's a marker. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're willing to use it in this section of your training, what exactly, why not use it in the positive side? And then, of course, you see some head scratching happening and so forth. So you can't, Fight the argument when you actually already do it and you believe it. You just – the problem is that we're not comfortable, you know, and, and we have to be willing to understand things. And what typically drives uh, change is when it's forced to happen versus being proactive and going, you know what, this is – because everything, you know, any solid animal training program uses markers on the positive side of the equation because most times they can't do much as far as negatives go besides withhold something or do at least reinforcing scenario and because when they're working with wild animals yeah you're not going to do any yeah. uh <laughs> yeah. uh uh-uh, no you're going okay we're stopping for today i think you
1: know like when you're talking markers that's the the real superpower of the marker is being able to tell the dog what you're doing over there yeah. is what I like. Yep. Now come back over here to take your reinforcer. Yeah, uh, and get out of that zone. I was just thinking when you're talking then, like a lot of the dogs that you're going to use for this stuff, like the good dogs, mm-hmm. the the high level dogs, like that you don't need to stimulate with the ball. That like you show it to them once in their life and they yeah, believe they've got it forever. Right? Yeah. They're the best dogs, but they're getting harder and harder to find. Yeah, but. Uh, with the constant reward at source, when you're building duration in your, um, like for you in your, uh, uh, indication on the source Mm -hmm. and for me Mm -hmm. inside Mm behaviours is that what you risk in the building of that duration is extinction related behaviours right Yep. and if you're reinforcing in an indirect way back Mm -hmm. then those extinction related behaviours are going to be safer than Mm -hmm. the extinction related behaviour that happens forward so like if the dog turns and barks at you because he knows you've got it and he's angry that's a lot more manageable like you're not going to reinforce that but it's a lot more manageable than a dog who bites and now suddenly you've got an active indication and especially if it is like as you say now fentanyl and all that kind of stuff yep. like it can be a disastrous right away it's yeah, like absolutely. no longer is there the divide between bomb dogs are mm-hmm. the only ones that need this it, it's it's a real problem for you guys right exactly yeah both sides of the equation now have dangers when it comes to odor yeah so the substance usually what we find with those extinction related behaviors the frustration the, the bark the whatever it usually happens in the direction of the reinforcer mm-hmm. and so in training, you've got to manage that, and, and it's going to happen one way or another, yeah. but it's ha-
0: better to happen away from the source than exactly. into the source. Because if the dog's convinced that the reward pops from the source, then like you just said, they're going to now go aggressive at the source, which is a common uh, thing that handlers bring up. Hey, my dog you know, bites a dark car door handle all the time, or my dog bites you – know, I have a dog who always bites where odor's at. Well, you created that problem you know and and there is a way to fix it and it's through your communication and your timing of the communication you know not always just throwing lists. oh my hider is now built around cinder blocks and my dog got tired of fighting and biting cinder blocks so I was out, you know you know it, 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 but that's you know the way to go versus understanding communication and using that communication to work your way out of that but uh so you and there's another big thing that you brought up uh, in your lecture out here and that is the power of hope in the variable reward schedule. And there's a ton of that that I think gets left off in the detection dog world because the mentality is when I go to training, I need to put four or five odors out so I can check my list of odors I put out. I also want my dog to, uh, you know, search this space, find these things, and I'm a reward every single time because if I, heaven forbid, I don't reward on one of these odors, he he's not going to forgive me, and he might be horrible now at that one odor uh, or whatever that, whatever that is. So talk about, because uh, me and you both use the same video, I, I have all my students watch Sapolsky as he talks about the power of hope and the, in, introduction of maybe you know into the equation and how dopamine changes and the brain chemistry goes on. So I'll let you kind of cover you know, a little well, bit of that. Well, that's an
1: interesting one for me because, like I said, I'm not a detection guru, and but it's always, like the traditional thinking I'm aware is that in a, in a hunting game, mm-hmm. it, you you pay every time, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and I've always kind of questioned that yep, because same here. in like say when I'm doing obedience with my dog on the field, I'll string 15, 20 behaviors together. Yeah. And the reinforcer that comes at the end is for the entire string of behaviors. Exactly. So I've it makes sense to me mm-hmm. and I, I'm not a detection guy, but it yeah. makes sense to me that I can send my dog to a find. Yep he finds it, yep. I could, using another command, mm-hmm. call him back to me or send him to find another mm-hmm. and reinforce at some point mm-hmm. and that entire string of behaviours, including the find, yep. be reinforced along the way. Absolutely. Um, and in doing so, then it makes sense to me sure. <laughs> that we then solicit Sapolsky's dopamine jackpot in that maybe this is the one and we make the dog happier and more excited at the opportunity to find mm-hmm. it rather than uh, actually finding it itself.
0: Yeah, and yeah. every search doesn't always yield in finding something and too often training is every search yields a find mm-hmm. and that in reality, that's not the case. So we create two contexts. One is training and there's finds here all the time. And let alone it's in the context of it's the same building we train in the same car lot. So the dogs expectation, expectations. They come in that space. They already know what's going on versus the real world traffic stop or the real world search of whatever area isn't anything. And then, before too long, we've actually trained the dogs to in those areas to not really put any effort in because why? Yeah. Versus teaching in those training areas how to they have to work. Mm-hmm. There may not be anything here today, mm-hmm. but there might be over here, you know. But you never know because we have hope. At some point, I'm going to find something. Yeah. But if we constantly throw out those odors and every place I go, there's an odor here, there's an odor there, we haven't really created hope. We just create an expectation. Yeah, I'm going to find something. Yeah, you know.
1: And, and I think in doing that regularly in training, it, mm-hmm. it probably makes uh, an operational find an easier thing to manage when you don't know whether it is a hide or not, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, say the dog indicates, you could then say, yeah, like that's the, because, you know, the indication is obedience, right? Mm-hmm. The sit, it's an obedience. Yeah. The, the the command is the odor yep. and the the behavior is the, the sit. Yep. From there, I could potentially recall my dog, mm-hmm. put him in a down, mm-hmm. go over and check that the source actually is what he says it is. Yep. And from there, I can reinforce him while he's in the down over there. And if I do that in training now and again, I can do that operationally. And so I never need to reinforce my dog for a false indication because I can actually check. I can actually go over and say, and then he's waiting over there in the down. He knows that I'm going to reinforce him because I've done it in training and he, he really was a real indication. Yep. And the whole chain gets reinforced. The hunt gets reinforced. The call off of the odor gets reinforced. The down gets reinforced. The whole lot. It's all there. Uh, And if he was lying or, you know, he was wrong or whatever, chances are, you know, maybe he wasn't. You just don't find whatever. But then you can just send him back to searching. Exactly. Like, and then... It, it just spools up more dough for me because I'm back to work again. Exactly right. <laughs>
0: right. And and you brought up a big point, which is when we ask handlers when they do a real search, whether it be a traffic stop, or whatever, how do you reward on that search? And there's a number of reasons, but the common answer is no. Well, what have they also just done to that dog at that point? Which is in their real world context, I don't get anything. I just get some praise off and I'm drug away from the area. So, you add that to it. But if you just change, like you said, just change that sequence a little bit, create a sequence of indication. Okay, come back to me. Wait here. You know On you my do- command, come back to yes, me. Yes. Right? So exactly. people will
1: complain. Oh, now he'll drift back to you. Right? Yeah. On it, my command. Come exactly.
0: Because they should be holding that indication behavior until changed or released. And as soon as it is, like you said, the dog understands and can create, like I said, the dopamine is still rising at this point, it's still increasing, allowing you to do whatever you do. So therefore, now this translates to your traffic stop, dog indicates, okay, you give your command, either come back to you, or you can use a marker if you feel, or you can whatever it is you choose, okay, yeah, I can do that. And then now go verify, and then really jackpot if you wanted to, because you can, like we just said a second ago, give the marker, they're going to react, but they haven't received you know, that high value item at that moment, and then add to that. You know, once, once you've done your verification, if you need to. It's interesting, like we're talking, then, it, it reminds me
1: of a mantra was drilled into me, I was in the army, is that uh, you, nobody rises to the occasion, yeah. you sink to the level, level of your training, the, mm, right? Mm, and, absolutely. And uh, I think that it's important in dogs to to always understand that unless you've done it in training, it ain't going to happen in the real world. Correct. Right? So that's it ain't going to happen well in the real world, no. right? Yeah. So as you said, you're not going to reward on a real search because mm-hmm. you don't know whether it's there. Sure. So C- create that chain in training, and when you've done it in training, it'll work great. It'll, it'll work great in the field, exactly. But if you don't do it in training, like a dog, I often say, for a dog to believe that something is going to be true, mm-hmm. it has to have at some point been true. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, yes for, for him to believe, okay, you'll pay me for the fine that I got there yeah.
0: while I'm over here. Yeah, he has to have seen that before. Yeah, right? absolutely, absolutely. And so, there's another little aspect that I would just want your thoughts on. Um, a good friend of mine, uh, a guy named Scott Clappenback, he does uh, a lot of stuff with mammal training. But he's also a narcotics handler for a county in California. He's reserve, Puts in 1,800 hours a year, I believe, just doing reserve work for free basically. Anyway, so he and I, because he's a behaviorist and understands all this stuff because with the program that he does with the Navy, working with mammals, they're back in their normal environment. They're free to take off if they wanted to and never come back. And so we've had these discussions because they do tons of these mammals are doing searches and searches and searches with nothing, but they have a way to indicate that there's nothing and be correct. Mm -hmm. But in detection dogs, we've never really have Mm -hmm. not finding anything gets them nothing. What's your thought or opinion on having a way to communicate reinforcement for a lack of an indication or lack of finding something. Yeah. So
1: again, that relates to I think that you need to do that in training, mm-hmm. not just operationally, yes. where you could be wrong. Uh, correct. And so I think that it makes sense to me that if the search is conducted correctly, yeah, and you know there's nothing out there because yep. you didn't put anything out there, correct? On leaving the search area, you
0: could reinforce the dog. Yeah. Right. And that would help alleviate the dog. You know, having that internal like I don't know how to be right. There's mm-hmm. nothing here, so, in so of, I should give a false indication. Exactly, and then well, maybe I'll offer sniffing because mm-hmm. I've learned through training by offering sniffing at something, my handler reacts to that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so then then the handler makes me bring it back to the area. So if the handler comes back, I'll sniff again. Yeah, okay, I'll indicate, and then the handler might pay me. You know, and then we've created a hope for something that we don't want mm-hmm. when we can do the exact same thing for something we do want, mm-hmm. which is the, the the dog have a clear picture when there's odor reinforcement, and even when there's no odor, there's the ability to be reinforced for doing the right thing, which mm-hmm. is no indication. Yeah, so much you are saying like it, it it seems
1: obvious in in some ways, but it goes against conventional thinking. But yeah. the data is out there. If we got all this info, we got to apply it, right? Yep. Like, oh, it's absolutely. There. And uh, you know that there, there, there's hard heads that don't want to accept that sure but
0: if you try it
1: yep let's we'll see how it goes yeah
0: no exactly <laughs> and and, that, and as you're listening to my the the podcast with brian Hare, uh-huh. he basically says that you know it's the it's not about being right or wrong it's it's about the truth what's the truth and, and the data will lead you to the truth yeah. you know and, and we've known we see this and with the agent of or the with at live PD on TV now, we're, we're, you know, dog handlers are being exposed or it's being shown, you know, a lot of things that shouldn't be, be going on, you know, we shouldn't, a lot of handler uh, bias or cues coming out and things like that. The dogs are cognitively going, okay, you're doing this, so I can do this for you. Mm-hmm. And we can't have that. So we have to push ourselves yeah. and, and, and address some uncomfortable things based on old beliefs that now where there's science and data, we should probably start following those things. And that's kind of, you know, the, all the training that you're talking about is a science-based, you know, yeah. tra- way of training.
1: And I think when you look at people around the world, like when you look at the like tier one SF units over mm-hmm. here and uh, SAS and two commando regiment in Australia that, you know, are like deep in the Nipopo system trained by Bart, like the the, the turbo has been attached to their training Yeah, because these are guys who they're not wed to a system that like they were taught fairly old school because that's what got brought into mm-hmm. army. Right. Mm-hmm. But they're not going to stay in that because their life depends on these dogs. Correct. Like they're re- they're, yeah. These are motivated guys yeah. um, who are using that dog as a tool to do things they can't do. Correct. And so I think they're the cool units to look at to understand, yeah. like, they're at the, probably at the cutting edge, uh-huh. as, which is different to what used to be the case, right? It used yeah. to be a lot of the police and military were, like, way behind what the civilians knew. Sure. Um, but a lot of now, because, this information is available and they just want to be good at their jobs because being good at your job is a difference than going home or not. Absolutely right. right. And when those guys are changing towards a more scientific approach and, you know, doing away with tradition to look at like what really works. And maybe something that you're doing – is just seems steeped in tradition, but there mm-hmm. is a good reason. Mm-hmm. But run a test, see yeah. like, what happens, right? You know, create an environment where you can test it with no one getting hurt and there yep. being no serious significant consequence. Mm-hmm. And then say, okay, oh, it turns out there was a good reason for that. Well, well let's keep that in the let's keep that in the in the book. Yeah. And it turns out
0: there's no good reason for that. So let's get rid of that and bring something else in. Yeah. And what you just said it was, was the main reason why it pushed me to be better as a trainer was with working with the SEAL teams. They basically demand that, you know, we need to evolve. We can't keep doing the same stuff. Our program from the inception of the Navy SEAL program had evolved and they looked at me and said, so we expect to constantly evolve and the dogs are no different than anything else we do. We just wanted to know that it will work. So you have to prove it will work in our training before we implement it in any kind of you know operational aspect, and and with that they realized some of the old ways they were doing things were not working when they were operational. So uh, the more science we brought into it, and then you know like I said working with the mammal programs and and the information at your fingertips kind of thing with with social media and stuff like that, uh, decisions were made to start using you know the marker based system. Uh, being able to push the dogs out further away from us working and it having reliability, a dog holding an indication until eventually your operator got up there or they were released from that position. Um, and that all, like we said, goes back to good solid training. Yeah. Um, Work smarter, not harder. It, exactly.
1: Because when you're already working really hard, yep. right, and just layering in, okay, now I've got a canine capability, yep, like uh, on top of all the other insanely large number of skill sets that I have to maintain. Yep. I want this to be as streamlined as possible because mm-hmm. I don't have time to to be doing things that are unnecessary. And exactly. I need this I need this capability to work or I'm not taking it with me.
0: Efficiency is highly important because, like you said, time on target or things like that. You're dealing with; you don't have time to waste around. You know, doing stuff that doesn't is not effective. It doesn't work. Um, but it's cool that they come around to that because guys like you and me are, are getting paid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's true. I mean, and, and, and in that environment is how I got deeper in the cognitive side, cognitive side of things. And uh, and I know guys like you that do lots of your own, you know, reading of research and things like out uh, like that out there. You and I are even talking about how it's kind of nice now that the academic side and the science side want our involvement because our biggest critique of science and in, in academic was, sure, it worked with the pound puppies that they were testing. Oh, it worked with this controlled environment, and I appreciate the start point, but then you put a paper out or a research thing out, and that's where it stops. And now with the collaboration uh, that's happening a whole lot more, and and you know I'll say this here: now I'm gonna be pushing some stuff towards you because I want your feedback, yeah, and, and that you know intermixing of us and you know as practitioners and academics uh, will only push that industry further and further. Mm-hmm. And the last kind of thing I'll t- I'll hit on is we have to start be getting better at prepping young dogs. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you know, and I'll pick the United States in this case, we can't continually rely on dogs from other countries or overseas. We, there's genetics here. Uh, we we have good knowledge of people here. I think where there's a gap, and it may be even for you guys too, is the process, taking that young dog to the point of where it becomes to the operation or the operator, whether it be the police officer, the military security, whoever gets it. Um, that's where our biggest gap is at. And the training that you're talking about, the cognitive stuff that I'm learning and I'm trying to share with people like you and the others out there that want to learn it is that helps us in that process. And you've brought that up a few times, cognitive learning. Um, how important is this in that, in that stage of dogs? Mate, for us more than anything. So, you know,
1: Australia's an island no qu- with no, with, uh, no rabies. So, qu- Bringing a dog into Australia is not only a, a minimum six-month process yeah. but an incredibly expensive process, Ugh, right? So imagine. if anybody in the world ever needs to be better at dealing, like getting the maximum from the dogs that you have, it's yeah. us, yeah. right? Yeah. And this is the thing that we found since the guys uh, like at my old unit and, and and at SAS and now in the, the – we don't call them SWAT teams in Australia but for purposes, the SWAT yeah. teams around the place, they, uh, they have to use the best methods of pl- Available because mm-hmm. the pickings are slim, man. Yeah, and like the old days of like, oh, that dog's no good. We can wash him out. That's over. That, yeah. that does That isn't around because there's no one to replace him. Sure. So you got to figure out why he's no good and see if you can patch that. And and yep. a lot of the times you can. Like I think it, it, sometimes in those units, it's a case of like it's too hard to fix or we mm-hmm. don't know how to fix. Mm-hmm. And I think we just don't have the luxury of that. No. And, and we do not have the luxury of that in Australia. And I think around the world. the the good dogs are getting harder and harder to come by. So anything that can squeeze a little bit more juice out of the dog, you got to know it and you Mm got to do it. Like people, you know, what we're talking about at the start about how to get the dog excited about the search, there'd be people who say, you don't have to do that because the dog should be crazy for the hunt anyway. Well, they should be. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah. But those dogs are getting harder and harder Mm -hmm. to come past, Mm -hmm. right? And so- knowing every way that you can squeeze the dog to the maximum of the bandwidth the the maximum of his genetic bandwidth of capability is is worth its weight in gold and it's the difference between a dog getting through a program or not Mm -hmm. and you know that's in in australian terms that's Mm -hmm. like fifty thousand dollar dog sure and and even take the money side apart even if you had a you can have write a blank check you can't yep. buy a dog that doesn't exist no exactly yeah for sure <laughs> So you got to work with what you got and the more you understand to work with what mm-hmm. the the more that you can yep. the better set for success you are and and I'm, I'm glad to see that most people are coming around to that it's awesome mm-hmm. and um you just have no choice yeah got to like got to learn to think outside the box and go okay what's going to make this dog get over the line yeah because the cookie cutter system of he's not fit exactly for what we want and yeah. how we train i can so, adapt my system because the, you know, yeah. the, no, we have to adapt. have to. Those days are over. Yeah. It, it's, and it was before I was around. Like it's been like this for a long time, but yeah. people are only really now starting to yeah. admit
0: it and, and realize it. Because we're so many years behind where Europe has been when it comes to that rearing of the dogs. And you brought up just today uh, talking about the, the, lack of a better term, the knee popo box. Mm-hmm. And so tell the listeners an uh, interesting stati- uh, statistic that you gave in that piece you're talking about yeah how they i'll, I'll be careful puppies. not to
1: give the exact numbers because sure but uh the a couple of units uh around australia that have had training in that stuff from Bart mm-hmm. directly mm-hmm. that have their own breeding program have seen a, a huge increase mm-hmm. uh in the puppies that they get through and it's as simple as you know one of the hardest things when you have a, a puppy raising program is who like when you especially with fosters
0: mm-hmm.
1: is they just spend the eight to ten months that they have the dog destroying them, yeah. uh, turning them into great pets. Exactly. Right? Yep. And the instruction that people have been giving out is they teach them how to use that box correctly. And yep. you can do that in a couple of hours. You yeah. can really teach oh, yeah. someone how to do that properly. And they say, every meal the dog gets is out of this box and this yep. is how you deliver it. Yep. And you, you toughen, you strengthen, you make the dog obsessed with that one behavior. Correct. And when we get him back, we're getting back a dog who is at the maximum of his genetic bandwidth of capability. He's as tough mm-hmm. as he can be, mm-hmm. right? And he have an overwhelming desire to perform a behavior right yep, yep. and with those two things yep. i can i can get a lot out of that dog right yeah he's the toughest that he can be he's environmentally yep. sound to, to the maximum he can and he has an obsession yep. with with a particular thing and yeah i can hold that over him yep. and i can use that to bring on a behavior hey you got to do the behavior in order to get this thing and so uh in some cases, I won't give the exact numbers because I, I want to be right, but it's sure. close to doubled yep. their uh, success rate. Yeah,
0: the majority of the litter makes it as yeah. compared to before when the, the minority yeah, the litter, the minority
1: yeah. barely made it. Yeah. So, you know, like made up numbers, mm-hmm. three out of 10, you're mm-hmm. now looking at like seven out of 10 Correct. going through. And that, that's an astronomical big. difference yeah. and what we, we've found with that box is now the guys are educated in how to bring dogs back from a problem yeah um i'm not sure if you and them we're talking about uh gunfire sensitivity like yep. that's that's a uh, it's over for a military working sure. dog. Gunfire sensitivity it's over yeah but like it's almost unreasonable to think if you put a dog in a room with a nine bang that he ain't becoming sure sensitive yeah to gunfire. or 50 cal going off in the back yeah, of the, yeah. right mm-hmm. uh I spent 12 years in the unit, right? Mm-hmm. And I've got some gunfire sensitivity. <laughs> sure.
0: Oh, <laughs> it's like, of course. It,
1: it, that, that comes whether you want it or not. Yeah. And so uh, having a way to come back from that because it, it used to be just it's over. Yeah. And the big thing about that box, one of the, the huge things is, you know, like uh, uh, explosion. So when you're doing breaching explosive entry mm-hmm. and then you're doing explosive entry to bites, mm-hmm. you're then conditioning the effect. It's a marker, that yep. explosion. If the dog's strong and not worried about the, sure. the noise... That is a marker for a bite. And now yep. you've got your dog all revved up in excitement at an explosion. Yep. That's not a big deal when you're making explosive entry and he is getting in there to attack. Sure, but When you hit an IED, that's a that's a really big problem. Absolutely, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so what they've been able to do is keep their dogs neutral. So mm-hmm. like you would know, that, uh, neutral is actually a very difficult stance, right? Sure, yeah. Y- you feel one way about something. It's mm-hmm. very difficult to be so, neutral. Yeah,
0: in different completely, yeah. Yeah,
1: right? So you, you either, you feel good or bad about something in one way or another. And what they're able to teach in that box is Mm -hmm. whether the, no matter how the dog Mm -hmm. feels about the Mm -hmm. explosion, stay in the job that you're doing and reinforcement will come Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. So the explosion, it has a function, but it means to them, stay Mm -hmm. doing what you're doing, Mm -hmm. which is when you hit an IAD, right? So you you use explosive entry on a door, Mm -hmm. stay doing what you're doing. That's, that's now clearing through the building. Yeah. You hit an IAD Stay doing what you're doing. That's staying right where you are, yeah. right? And yep. now, if your handler is the one that's hip, he can people can get to you to assist, right? Exactly. If it's in a, if you're in a minefield, now yep. your dog's not pulling you around trying to hit more mines. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that one thing, yep, has changed so much for those guys, and, yep. and means that a dog who has an issue with it can the yep. issue can probably be fixed. Yep. And a dog that is over aroused by it, we can yep. keep him in a lower state of arousal. Yep. That you get. You know, you employ someone to teach you that for a day and pay them fifteen hundred dollars for the day, yeah. and, it, and it and it keeps you in the service. One fifty thousand dollar dog. Sure, that's a pretty goddamn good uh, exact investment. Absolutely, not
0: only that, and that's the most extreme example. You gave good examples today of the person with a pet who has who's the dog is very sensitive just to somebody being near them. This exact same technique with the box helps that dog overcome the sensitivities to the environment, to a person, to whatever. So if you're a nose work person, this is a tool that will help that dog become more confident, more comfortable searching in an environment where there's going to be people around. And normally when they're walking down the sidewalk, they're barking, going off at the person on the other sidewalk across the street. So now you could be in an environment, be around people. The dog understands, okay, I'm in my happy place. I can work. But they, but that box was the initial key that got them going. And, And for people that... um don't know what we're talking about i'll, I'll post a link or yeah on our videos. podcast it's the
1: canine paradigm uh episode four we do a full explanation on it perfect. and then there's a better breakdown in our patreon page perfect um and i spend a lot of time teaching it. it there's so much on facebook so many videos of people do it there's so much free media out there yeah. if you search my name on youtube there's heaps of videos of it doing it yeah there's my dog growing up doing it perfect. um and you know in the sports like uh my dog's been being hit with a clatter stick with his head in that box since he's fourteen yeah. weeks old. <laughs> no decoy hitting him is going to cause a problem of that, sure. right? He's yeah. like, "Hey, the person I care about the most has been mm-hmm. hitting me with that stick since I was forty weeks old, and I think it's a good thing." Yeah, you yeah. hit me with it, it ain't a problem. Like, exactly. Right? No. Just stuff like that. It's a. It, it's a. It. From the outside looking in, I've had so much feedback about that box. It's something I learned from Bart it's not mine. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it looks like such a gimmick. It yeah. seems like such a stupid thing. Yeah. And if I had a box to sell you, I'd agree. Like, <laughs> the, I'm, I'm selling a mistake, sort of <laughs> here, right? <Like laughs> oh, sandwich, yeah.
0: Here, right? No, for sure. But... Make your own box. You don't even need a box. You no. can use anything you want. Right? I, I, I was thinking you could use a flower planter. Yeah, you can exactly use a, exactly anything. Yeah. You've
1: got something lying around in your house that you yeah. can use. You don't yeah. need a, a box like I use. Yeah. That works great. But yeah. loads of other things work. I, I'm
0: going to put a about. logo on them. I start selling them because, yeah. like, like you said, here's your Ginsu dog knife. Well, know, finally set. <laughs> you say that
1: because there's a guy <laughs> in Australia at the moment actually uh, working on flat pack ones that we, he can ship anywhere. In the oh world. wow, collapses um, down or something. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's going to be shipped like IKEA style furniture that goes around. And he he offered me a cut of that. He wanted to put my logo on it and stuff and and, you know i'd make money out of it and i was like no man because it it steals from the integrity of what exactly. I'm doing. I'd love I to get say, some money. Yeah, I'd yeah, love yeah. to be paid more for yeah. it. Trust me, I would. But, but then like, I have the box to sell and then people yeah. wouldn't believe it. So yeah. you don't need the box. No. This guy has a good one that you can yeah, share. Exactly. It'll be out soon, but yeah. you can use anything yeah. and yeah. learn it. The efficacy of it is unbelievable. And there's plenty of people here in the States that are yeah. teaching it. There's yeah. other people, not just me in Australia that are teaching yeah. it. You don't have to come to me. I'm not selling anything. Yeah. But there isn't a dog in the world that can't benefit from doing
0: it. Yeah, that. and I do a very similar thing in detection it's the it's like me and you kind of talked about uh the first day you were here it's basically i have basically two in a sense and one has the odor and one does not and the one with the odor is the one that feeds and rewards and whatever and they understand that the other one that doesn't but when they're in that that's their space and then i can start creating that resistance to them and then they realize it odor pays odor pays odor pays and they stay there they're calm. And like you said, then they're, they're holding a behavior. It just, everything bleeds from that step. So the common problem of trust for detection dog handlers, I can't trust my dog. This alleviates a lot of that. Yeah. And those dogs that are sensitive or environmentally unsure things, this helps that. Yeah. So no, it's, it's a big thing. And, and, and stuff like this information sharing on this podcast, uh, people like you coming on and, and passing that knowledge on is, is a huge help and helps us evolve mm-hmm. in which is what we have to do. And for that, I'm thankful for you taking the extra time to sit here and I'm talk to you me. It's been fun. I, yeah, you're already, I, I know exactly.
1: I'm scared because I'm not a detection guy and I've been talking oh, about detection f- a
0: lot, right? <laughs> training is training. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We, we know what, no matter whether it be detection, obedience or whatever, there's sound concepts and principles that no matter what what it is, is to the truth. You know, at the end of the day, like I said, what the information tells us, the truth is this. Yeah. So behavior is behavior, science is a science. Exactly, exactly. So again, I thank you. I've, I've been in your shoes Before traveling and speaking. And then, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we both share that same passion of sharing information, helping people have a better relationship with their dog is the biggest thing that gets us going, you know, and seeing that success happen. You know, they show up like today, you see the dogs and all the different stages that they're in. And then I know by Monday, they're going to leave here with a totally different state of mind The dogs. Yeah. And then they're, they're reinvigorated as handlers too. Yeah. You know, so no, again, I appreciate that. And then for those that are listening, again, your show, The Canine Paradigm, and, and I will send this thing to you guys. Yeah. We'll have guys to get re- you just to come on. Yeah. Do an
1: interview with us and we'll can get you. We're, we're big on um, backstories of trainers, right? Oh, so we good to get you on and hear the whole story and yeah. how came to be in this. Position.
0: I know it's funny you say that because a friend of mine said, I need to interview, for you, interview you for your show because. Your listeners hear everybody else, but they don't know your story. Yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah. Well, there you
1: go. I we'll have to get you on. Yeah,
0: I, w- I would love to. That'd be awesome. Sounds I appreciate good. it. So, again, thank you very much for coming thanks on. Thanks for having man. me, bro. Yeah. And uh, thanks
1: for letting us use the place. It's an oh. amazing
0: facility. No, I'm glad. I mean, you get to see it. You've been around a lot of places, so if if you think this is a good place, that's huge compliment. You know, I, yeah, that's I, great. I don't take that's great
1: I should thank Michael who's here with us for bringing me out. Thanks yes, for very much.
0: yeah, yeah. You know, Mike Carpenter from Sin City Working Dogs. Those that uh, come to Vegas and and want to do that, you know, this is the person to talk to. And again, I'll put all that information on the show notes. And and for those listeners, as usual, if you need to get a hold of me, send me an email. That's Cameron C A M E R O N at Ford K nine F O R D K number com. until the next episode. I will talk to you then. Well, that concludes the episode with Pat. Uh, Again, if you want to reach out to Pat, the easiest way is to actually go find the canine paradigm podcast. Also look up the operant canine. All of these things will be in the show notes. Uh, I hope everybody took some great information from this episode Pat, again, is a wealth of knowledge, especially with the Nipopo uh, way of training, uh, which is encompassing, obviously, as you heard, a lot of normal uh, dog training, but uh, I apply many of the same techniques in detection dogs, dogs learning to work through uh, various types of adversity. And what I mean by that, it, it could be just objects in the space. You know, getting through those things and then finding the positive, which is the odor, which then leads to the marker and then reward itself. So, uh, popo and what uh, you got to hear Pat talk about is helpful in all aspects. So, next episode is going to be another Pat, and I will leave that as a hint. Some of you guys might uh, be able to figure this out, but the next guest and I are going to talk about basically how to raise dogs to become detection dogs great conversation it was a lot of fun uh, sitting down with him and discussing all kinds of things so there's your teaser for the next episode and until then thank you for listening to canines talking sense where it's okay to be nosy